When your happiness depends on what you do with your life, Deadweight, a podcast that brings ordinary people to talk about their work, the horror, or when we just say screw it and go for our dreams. When you realize your job's affecting your life. It was hard for me to walk. There was dudes on campus, like nine guys with pit bulls, ready to wreck shop. And to let them know, like, I'm not doing that anymore, and it, it was tough. Make a change and take it back. I'm Cecile, and welcome to Dead Weight. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dead Weight. Please make sure to subscribe and comment to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play. If you know someone who has a story to tell, please email us at imdeadweight@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Burt Squirts. Do you want to discover new and delicious hot sauces every month? Then check out Burt Squirts hot sauce subscription. Before Burt's, I didn't know what good hot sauce meant. Most hot sauces are made with ingredients I'd find in your cousin's meth lab. Burt's partners with organic buyers who refuse to use ingredients with extracts, preservatives, and other chemicals. So if you want to help craft hot sauce makers and Burt, check out Burt Squirts at BurtSquirts.com. Today we have two gentlemen from D.C.'s first rum distillery, Cotton and Reed. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Reed Walker, and this is my co-founder, Jordan Cotton. We are the uh, co-founders of uh, DC's first rum distillery uh, called Cotton and Reed. And we both moved here to, to DC five to, to seven years ago. Uh, I'm from San Francisco, and uh, Jordan's from Connecticut. And we became friends while working for contractors for NASA uh, for the past five years, and we just quit last April to pursue our dream of founding uh, this rum distillery. I would think that working for NASA would be a dream come true. It's a very competitive place to be. Did you always have a passion for distilling? So uh, we were working for a company called Avacent that gets hired to do strategy on behalf of uh, other organizations. So we did a lot of work with NASA headquarters, various NASA centers, private space companies, satellite manufacturers, launch service providers, uh, down to component suppliers, all kinds of different space stuff um, that's not all quite as sexy as Star Trek, but is all in a very interesting field. I don't know if this uh, encapsulates your feelings, I read, but it, after a few years of working in something as cool and exciting as space, but ultimately my contribution being creating a PowerPoint presentation that sits in somebody's drawer was just not keeping me interested, not something I could see myself doing for more than a few years. But it was it was hard, you know, pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into a into a PowerPoint as opposed to what we're doing now, where it's a very now it's literal blood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Reed's got a giant cut on his finger right now from some work we were doing yesterday for our bar area. So having to work for a consultant must be tough. Long hours, short deadlines, etc. Did any of this prepare you for the work you're doing today? Yeah, one of the interesting similarities actually between our old job and our, I can't even call it a job, 
life, I guess, I don't know, is that and with when we're working with the space industry, it's extremely long uh, cycles for projects. So as an engineer working for NASA, you, you might be lucky enough to work on two projects. Uh, it takes five years to drop the requirements for a satellite and then uh, another five years to 10 years to, to construct the satellite. And then the launch schedule uh, always gets delayed. And so then you're talking 15 years later and the project that you've been designing ends up getting launched. And then you're not even getting scientific results back for another five years. For making rum and whiskey, it also can take that long. I mean, we're expecting to put down barrels of rum uh, within the next few months and we won't touch them for at least a few years for our first aged rum products. Uh, but there's certainly going to be some rum sitting in barrels that will be there for 20 years. 30 years, and we're going to be 50 when we launch our 20-year Solera-aged rum, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Uh, but it's just these these cycles are, are very, very long. At what point did you go, not another presentation, not another PowerPoint? Was it difficult to arrive at a point where you were ready to leave? It was more of a, a pull rather than a push, meaning the excitement of pursuing the founding of this distillery was so enticing. It uh, pulled us away from what we were doing. I don't think it was as much of a, God damn it, we hate this, uh, we have to leave. It, it was just the passion of, of finding what we want to do. And we had been doing this as a hobby, making, um, making spirits as a hobby. And since the first time we did it, there was never any question that this is not what we wanted to do. Where were you distilling? Jordan's Garage. It's too stereotypical for a new company, I know. <laughs> but I'm afraid that's the story. One interesting connection between the former and current lives is that we got turned on to home distilling actually by a guy we met through work who uh, works for NASA down in Alabama doing consulting on um, rocket engine design and testing. And he makes his own whiskey down there. And uh, we were like, that sounds cool. Wait, so was that it? Some guy in Alabama making whiskey turns you two into full-fledged distillers? It was definitely Reed saying like, what, uh, this could be a business. We could start this business. Oh, you were reading the four-hour work week <laughs> at the time. That's what happened. So it was like, yeah, you know, start companies and then eventually they can run themselves. This is definitely not one of those types of companies. It's very, very hands-on all day, every day, pretty much. But Was the transition hard? I mean, where your family... Leads? Yeah, telling your mom that you're starting a liquor company is not a fun conversation. (laughs) Yeah, we were basically working two full-time jobs for years. So when did you decide to leave? Did you both leave at the same time, throw your PowerPoint slides and high-five and just walk out? Uh, Yeah, within a couple weeks of each other. Yeah, with with consulting, we would typically work two to three projects at a time. And we wanted to finish out our, our current projects so as to not leave our team and in a rough spot. I did, I remember April 4th was my last full-time day, which was, or April 3rd, which was a Friday, but then uh, I set up an arrangement where I could do part-time hourly work for them because then for the past year we haven't had salaries. And then, uh, So at times, underperforming and over-budgeting federal projects make the news. Did you see any of this during your time? As part of a big organization or as part of an organization that works for other organizations, I think... A lot of people end up completely removed from the the benefits of their labors. So we were working for this consulting firm that then worked for other organizations. So 
as employees of the consulting firm, we get the salary, but we don't get the benefit of working hard to expand the company and make it more successful. You kind of get the same salary day in, day out within a given position. And then the organizations that we help improve, we may never see again. Whereas our company, we own it. Everything we do is for us and our vision and our future. So, you know, call me selfish, but that's more interesting to me. So selfish. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm thinking of one particular project. I was working for a manufacturer of satellite components, helping them renegotiate pricing on space glue. You need special glue in space because of their extreme and rapid temperature swings, depending. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) like a a satellite orbiting the Earth will be in the Earth's shadow and incredibly cold and then be exposed to the sun and be incredibly hot and that'll happen over and over and over and you want a satellite to last for you know 15 years or whatever these guys had never once attempted to get better prices on their glue so they hired us to help renegotiate space glue contracts we get these great prices and then a year later they call back and they're like so we just tried to call in on these quotes that you guys got to get these cheaper prices they're not good anymore and it's like how do how do you have so little motivation. We saved you all this money, did all this legwork for months, surprisingly, to get these new glue prices. <laughs> and then a year later, you try and like pull the trigger on it. You know, it's just like, there's so little get up and go in the these incentive. organizations that just move so slowly. It's mind numbing. And the thought of you living know, your life like that. Yeah. Right? It's just kind of what, what, what are they getting up in the morning for? Right. So then why am I getting up in the morning to bust my ass for these guys that aren't going to do anything about it? So anyway, that, that wasn't NASA. That was this component manufacturer, but um, <laughs> the glue folks yeah, <laughs> just can get it to stick, but <laughs> yeah, right? a, um, an engine test stand that was built down um, in Mississippi by NASA for $300 million for a specific engine after the program that that engine was for was canceled. They were building this thing for like four years for hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars for a non-existent program. My God. So the day that that article came out, I was in at NASA headquarters and was asking one of our friends over there, like, oh, so are people are people upset about this this, this Washington Post thing? And he's like, what, uh, what do you mean? He's like, you know, the $300 million test stand at Stennis, and they're, you know, super critical of, hey, guys, blow a bunch of money. He's like, oh, oh, that's a bloody nose. There's way worse stuff than that going on. Like, oh, wow. Cool, nice. <laughs> awesome. My God. And, and just that that was, you know, such a, a commonplace thing. It's a little... It's like people sorry. are like, the sense of, yeah. Right, because then there's, there's such a, a lack of resources for the cool, important things that do matter to people. So I'm assuming from your smiles and your motivation that business dealings are going well for you. Yeah, it's incredibly fun. Uh, Everything that we do is enjoyable. Even the cleaning, I don't actually mind. When starting a distillery, the... uh uh, you need to have very sanitary practices. Probably the most annoying thing about what we do on a day-to-day basis, but even that's totally fine. As they say, do what you love and never work another day in your life. Do you feel the same? Yes. Uh, I like a lot of the unexpected hands-on stuff that three years ago when we decided to start a distillery, we wouldn't have been, we, we didn't exactly anticipate, you know, oh, we'll be loading up the van with a thousand pounds of steel beams that we found in this crumbling warehouse or whatever um stuff like that is i think some of the some of the most exciting things i think the the unanticipated adventures that we end up having are a lot of fun and something that you wouldn't really come across in our 
old line of work to the same degree. You know, it would be like, oh man, I found this amazing GAO report. Check it out. <laughs> this data is incredible. You know, that was the, the cool, unexpected stuff. Can you? So since your departure, do you feel as though you've come across new and exciting people that maybe you wouldn't have had the chance to meet? I ask because, you know, working in certain sectors, whether it's education or government, you sort of meet a lot of the same folks that do that type of work. Um, with distilling, I wonder, do you find this to be true? Yeah, we talk and meet incredible people being business owners here in D.C., uh, a couple of weeks ago, we met uh, Richard Branson, which was a pretty cool space distilling overlap, actually. And uh, a couple of days ago, we met with uh, Mariel Bowser, the mayor of D.C., wow. a bunch of small business owners in, in D.C. We meet with on a, on a regular basis just from building our own business. And, and so it's really fun, the diversity of people that we that we meet now, which we certainly did not have in the past. Yeah, it's a it's a broad swath of, of uh, humanity. We, we went down to Louisiana last summer for Two different reasons. One, Tales of the Cocktail, big cocktail and spirits convention. But then after that, we stuck around for a while driving around, meeting a bunch of different uh, sugarcane growers and sugar mill owners to try and nail down the source for our ingredients, for our, our rum. And um, that's, that was definitely a group of people we would not have otherwise met. You know, it's uh, out in very legitimate Cajun country. Like their families have been in the U.S. for centuries, but they have a French accent, you know, because they <laughs> grow up speaking whatever they call it down there. But, uh, yeah. yeah, there you go. And, um, you know, uh, we, we definitely were not meeting with, um, oh, what was that guy's name? He had the best name. Tommy Thibodeau. <laughs> Thibodeau. Tommy Thibodeau. Yeah. Um, and then later we saw like Thibodeau for mayor. Side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> different Thibodeau, but they were cousins. And everybody wow. down there is related. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah, this past January, I was in Belgium researching yeast for our rum. One of the unique things about our production process is using Belgian saison yeast uh, t- to make or to ferment our rum before we distill it. And so I spent a week driving around Belgium visiting uh, the world's best saison breweries, learning how they do their ferments. So now we apply those same fermentation techniques uh, to rum. And so meeting with brewers over in Belgium... Uh, who hardly speak uh, English. How was your experience, Jordan? Was it the same as Reed's? We've met a lot of people in the D.C. food and drink scene who are really incredible as well. And it's it's a really great community in D.C., very tight-knit, very smart and motivated bunch. And it's been funny. We, we both did uh, a little bit of bar backing. And I remember, uh, so my little dishwashing station, everything was hand, hand washed, every single glass. The station was at the bar. So I would be standing there for hours in people's conversations, essentially. And I remember very well, there was uh, a group of three women there talking right next to me. And one of them's talking about how her sister's been dating this same guy forever. And, you know, he's, he's like just a waiter and he never went to college or anything. And then she realized that I can hear their conversations like, Oh my God, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you know, people have all kinds of different <laughs> education levels and careers. I'm sure he does a great job. He's just not, not for her. You know, I'm like, I went to Harvard. It's like, excuse me, you know, different <laughs> people have all kinds of different walks. Yeah. Like, backgrounds and you know you get a lot of really impressive people in every I do have to ask did you say that 
I, I didn't. Know. Okay. <laughs> More water, ma'am. Uh, no. <laughs> um, That's interesting that you mentioned that. Back to meeting all these different folks, did you maybe feel that it was too difficult to break into, that maybe you weren't connected to the right people for your business to thrive in D.C.? Government uh, in D.C. employs 29% of residents, and I, I think um, hospitality is uh, just below that. And so, yeah, there's certainly a wide swath of, of folks that are in the industry, different walks of life. Um, but w- what's common, everyone's happy. Like it's a, it's very fun, yeah. friendly uh, community. People enjoy what they're doing um, from the barbacks to the bartenders to the entrepreneurs who own, own the businesses. Um, and so it's, it's very different from working uh, in government where people are wearing their suits, they're walking around looking at their shoes um, and you don't see very many smiles on a day-to-day basis. It's also different hours. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. we, we work till two, three, four AM and then go out drinking with our friends and it, it's, but I, I like being around people who are happy and so the hospitality industry is full of those. That's great. Do you feel the same? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We visited a ton of other small distilleries around the region and the country. Um, and much like Reads brewery visits in Belgium or Puerto Rico. We just kind of wander up and say, you know, hey, we're starting a distillery. Um, and they'd talk to us for, you know, hours about um, what they had, uh, uh, what they had encountered along the way to starting up. So we got a ton of the info that we needed to start this up by asking people, well, how much did your still cost? How much did your boiler cost? What kind of light problems did you have with? the city, what does the fire marshal like to see, all kind of stuff like that, that if it wasn't a friendly, collaborative scene, we would have just found out on our own along the way and cost us even more time and money than this already has. So um, very friendly scene, I would say. One of the things that I like about the spirits market relative to beer or wine is that so much of spirits are consumed in cocktails that are made of multiple products. So, you know, Cotton and Reed and Diageo can very well exist in the same glass and probably will. And that's that's great for us. So there's, I think, less exclusivity of, you know, if you're drinking a Budweiser, you're not simultaneously probably drinking a Sam Adams. But you might be drinking our products and three other companies' products in the same drinks. And uh, I think that's a lot more room to spin on it. Because you mentioned you went to, to Belgium and to Puerto Rico to just see like what their recipes are like. How do you come up with your own recipe? I mean, is this like a kitchen experiment? I'm, I'm wondering how do you like... Well, what's great about distilling is the combination of art and science. And so yeah, there's, that's what I was thinking. there's a, a lot of research out there that you that you can um, investigate to, to learn how others, others do it. And so that can build your knowledge foundation. Okay. Um, but then there's the artistic side as well. Uh, which is where it gets um, more fun. Um, and so what we've done with our rum is take a hybrid approach to how others do it. So in, in the Caribbean, for example, um, the majority of rum produced is made with pure molasses. But then in Brazil, they make their cachaça with uh, fresh-pressed cane juice. And so for us, we're, we're taking a hybrid approach and using a couple different ingredients okay. um, to um, develop the flavor profile that's, yeah. that's essentially more of a blend of those different types of rums. So what do you have to say to those that want to start their own business and follow their passions, their dreams? 
whether that starts off in a kitchen or in a garage. Many of us have golden handcuffs where we have our job that pays well and we can't justify to ourselves taking the risk to leave. And we just get stuck in a cycle of the next paycheck or the next bonus uh, or seeing the number in your bank account get bigger and bigger and bigger. For me, that I, I just I needed to get out of that cycle. We make literally zero dollars right now, but I'm happier than I ever was uh, working for the man. And so breaking those golden handcuffs and doing what you want is something uh, that gives me great joy. I wish more of my peers would take that risk and get out from under the thumb and, and pursue their dreams. And it's not about money, it's about being happy. And I'm certainly happier now than I ever was building PowerPoint presentations. Jordan, are you as enthusiastic as Reed? I'd say go for it. I met a guy a couple days ago who was very loud and drunk, but put it well. Uh, but just over and over again, it was very annoying. He's like, you know, everybody's got ideas, but you guys are doing it. You're doing it. You just said, fuck it. Let's just do it. It's still great. But then he said that over and over for about 10 minutes while I inched away. Um, so yeah, I mean, just go for it. A lot of people have ideas of things they want to do, you know, starting business, start a band, whatever the idea is, just stop screwing around. Just do it. Only gets harder to do it probably as you get older, have a family, whatever. Just do it Nike style. Right. <laughs> it's my sneakers speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Brought to you by. <laughs> right. Well, I would like to thank you two for coming and speaking with me today about your work and your new business. When does it open? Uh, we hope to open summer 2016, and we are located in the Union Market District uh, here in Washington, D.C., just across from the large uh, Union Market building. Well, I can't wait to get out there. This is Jordan Cotton and Reed Walker with Cotton and Reed Distillery, Washington, D.C. Out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.